This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. I was talking to some of our friends last Sunday, and they said, well, sadly, we can't be with you next week. But we'll listen on the podcast. I said, well, you're going to miss out then, aren't you? (laughs) I said, because I'm going to start by putting a suitcase on the table with a million pounds in cash inside of it. For the benefit of the tape, I have a suitcase in front of me with a million pounds in cash. Oh, not quite. (laughs) And I said, I'm going to distribute it. And they said, oh, we're going to miss out. Even if that was true, you'd probably only get about 10 grand each. (laughs) And before you all start saying, ah, that's not life-changing. But I have for you in this case this morning some keys that I believe will be life-changing and will enable you to unlock something that's worth more than money can buy. You see, when we come to the Word, we should always expect that as we open it, it's going to be a case full of provision. God's Word should be a provision to us. And I'm not simply talking about money. I'm talking about salvation. I'm talking about health, joy, peace, power. All the things that God describes in 2 Corinthians is the great and precious promises. And he says those great and precious promises which are yes and amen to us in Christ Jesus. And as we come this morning to consider the prophetic ministry, I want us to look at the word. You see, that's where it all starts. If you don't have an understanding of the word, you're not going to capture God's heart. As David said, Ephesians 4 says that prophets are given to equip the church for works of service. And this morning, I don't want to come and you to feel, well, Andrew's going to do it all for us. So this morning's about me giving you, from my life journey, some keys that I believe will help you to flourish in the prophetic ministry. I'm not suggesting by any means that I've made it or I'm perfect. In fact, quite the opposite. I know that there are lots of areas where I've still to grow. But I'm like Paul in Philippians 3 where he says, not that I regard myself as already obtained it, but forgetting what lies behind, I press on towards the goal. That's where I am, and that's where I want you to be. This morning, pressing on towards the goal, laying hold of that for which Christ laid hold of you. See, I didn't just get here to wherever, wherever here is. And by the way, when people say, oh, you've made it, I have no idea what made it means. But we need to understand that we are in a journey. And during that journey, we'll each learn things which we need then to share with each other. And so this morning, it's about me saying to you, look, along the way, there have been times when I've found some things that have been really helpful. There have been times when I've found things that I've made mistakes in. One of the things that I believe is important for us as parents is that we teach our children that they don't have to make the same mistakes that we made. And none of us have to continually make the same mistakes. We should be learning from each other. Um, We don't all have to do it the hard way. 
And I want to spur you on this morning to say, let's look at some keys that will help you, that you can understand how it is that you can press into the prophetic. You can understand how to capture God's heart, how to begin to share God's heart with others. And I want you to understand as we share that I haven't made it, but equally what you see today is not what I was when I started out. People say to me, oh, it's it's all right for you because, you know, you're confident. When I began to move in prophetic gift, I was far from confident. And there are times when we have to train ourselves to understand that God wants us to be confident and therefore we have to say, this is the word of the Lord and I will be confident in delivering it. It doesn't stop your knees from knocking. It doesn't mean that you're absolutely perfect every time. But you need to understand that because sometimes I think people look at me and they say, well, it's fine for you, Andrew. You clearly hear God very clearly. You have got a confidence and a boldness and then you discount yourself. The Apostle James knew all about that. So in James 5, when he's writing to the church, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. What was he saying? He says, you look to this man, you hold him in high esteem and yet he was just like you. He's really saying, you can do what he did. There's no difference between you and Elijah. And this morning, as we look into the word, there's no difference between you and me or anybody else you want to look up to in prophetic ministry. We're all the same before God. We're all growing and learning. And it's time that we understand that this is for all of us. And so this morning, I want you to understand Elijah was a man just like you. He was probably one of the greatest prophetic ministries in the Old Testament. And yet James is saying, he's just like us. You look at that and you think, wow, I'm not sure I could pray and stop rain. Why not? If God's word comes to you and says, that's what you have to say, we need to get to the place where we have the confidence to believe that we can speak out a word that can stop rain if that's what God wants. You see, this is for all of us. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 5 says, I would that all God's people prophesy. Now, he's not saying, but it's not possible. He's exhorting them. He's encouraging them. He's saying, you can all do it. I would that you all do it. And this morning, I want to say the same to you. I would that everybody in this room prophesy. There's no reason why you can't. And as we go through and we look at the practical steps we can take to help ourselves, I want you to embrace them. I want to to finish this morning. My goal for this morning is that we finish with you saying, do you know what? I can do this. If we get there, then we'll have achieved our objective. And I'm going to make it as simple as I can because, you know, God is very simple in the way that he deals with us. And we overcomplicate it and say, well, I've got to do this, this, and this. No. There's some simple truths that we're going to look at that will help you to move in the prophetic. I'm going to bring out some very practical things, some of which you will have heard before. But in Matthew 13, Jesus said this. He says, teachers of the kingdom will bring out from their storehouse treasures old and new. And this morning, I'm going to bring you what I believe are treasures, some of which are old and you've heard before some of which may be new to you and you've not heard before. We need to be careful that we don't discount the old because we've heard it before. 
We're so hooked up on chasing the latest revelation that we forget what God's already shown us. And I think this morning we just need to look back and say, God, we're coming to this with fresh eyes. Yeah, we may have heard all of this before, but this morning we're coming and we're saying, God, open the word to us afresh. Open our eyes that we might have treasures old and new. The prophetic ministry has to have its start and its birth in a heart that loves. A.W. Tozer wrote a book, and if you've got nothing to read at the minute, I'd recommend that you get the book. It's called God Tells the Man Who Cares. And in it, he describes how God's revelation will be given to those who've really got a heart for the people. You see, God isn't about telling secrets on people. God doesn't want to make things known to embarrass anybody. But what he's saying is, where there's somebody who'll care for these people, where there's somebody whose heart is to do them good and build them up, I'll share with them and I'll help them to understand what those people need. So we have to start with a heart of love. See, moving the prophetic is not about me. It's about you. It's not, what do I look like? It's, how can I build you up? 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 3 says, Prophecy then is given for edification, encouragement, and comfort. It's all directed at the other person. It's not given for promotion. It's not given for stardom. It's not given so I've got a word to share. No, it's given for me to edify you, comfort you, encourage you. The man who has a heart to do that is the man that God will share his heart with. It has to be born out of love. If we go back a chapter to 1 Corinthians 13, we've got that famous passage that Paul goes through. And he says, Even if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge and have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. Just think about that for a minute. You've got faith to move mountains. You know everything. I think many of us would probably look at that person and say, they've made it. But if they've got no love, they've got nothing. If it's all done from their perspective, no thought for the other person, they've got nothing. You might say, well, that's so obvious. We all know that. We all know it. But so subtly, wrong motives can creep in. So subtly, it can come to the point where you say, I just want to, I really feel that I want to say something this morning. Why? Why do you want to say something this morning? And I'm I'm saying this because I have to check myself sometimes. And I have to say, am I looking for a word to bless people? Or is it time for Andrew Eagle to prophesy? See, the devil will subtly put thoughts and ideas in your head. And we have to be those who hold fast to the word, which says, I'm doing this out of love. It's not about me. 
See, you say, well, how does that outwork? I'll tell you one of the ways it outworks. If it's not about you, and you come to the front, and for whatever reason, there's no opportunity for you to share your word, how do you react? Do you get upset? Well, the prophetic word may have come through somebody else. Do you feel frustrated? Do you take your bat home? <laughs> I've seen that. I've spoken to people who said, well, you know, I've been turned back too many times now. Do you know there's a, one thing I have to say to you on that? Get over it. In the nicest possible way, get over it. Because it's not about you. It's not about whether you get the mic. It's about you want to encourage the body. And that desire to encourage the body should not diminish because this week there's no opening for you. I remember on one occasion, going back to Dale's Bible Week, for those of you who are there, and the stage was quite high, so the steps were round the back. And I remember on this one occasion, working my way round the back, and it's before the days of Graham Deacon, so there's nobody to stop you. And I made it onto the stage. And I felt I had a word for the meeting. And I was sent back. And I made, when I say I made it onto the stage, I mean visibly into the middle. So there's no going back from this point. Everybody knew what you were up there for. Initially, I felt slightly frustrated. But I had to check myself and say, it's not about whether I get to share what needs to come. The desire in me was still to prophesy. I wanted to edify people. But I had to say, look, it doesn't matter I didn't get on. It doesn't matter that I wasn't allowed to share. I was blessed that I provoked somebody else to prophesy. And they brought what I had. But we need to learn just to continue and persevere. Because it isn't all about the meeting. Sharing the word is about sharing it in life. And if you don't get an opportunity on a Sunday morning, God is not phased in the slightest. Because the word that you carry, you will find an outlet for. The word that you have will bring forth. Why do I know that? Because his word does not return to him void. So if God's given you a word, it will be outlet somewhere. There will be some opportunity for you to share that. You know, there have been times when I felt I had a word for the meeting. And afterwards I realised I had a word for somebody. And we need to learn that it's not about whether we get the mic. It's not about whether we received. It's about whether we deliver the word. And our obligation is not to force that issue. Our obligation is to be willing to share the word when the opportunity arises. The love that we have for people has to be outworked. And the best way I've seen it being outworked is by serving. You say, what has serving got to do with the prophetic ministry? Everything. If you can't don this, 
and wash the pots. He's not going to share with you the riches of heaven. Why do I know that? Because Jesus said, the one who will be greatest of all must be the servant of all. It has to be start with a servant heart. That love has to be outworked. It's easy for us to say we love people. It's not always so easy to serve people. For me, growing up as a child, I was taught by my parents from an early age that we serve. And before ever I was prophesying, I was serving. And sometimes that serving would cost. I remember on one occasion there was a ministry, a leaders of ministry session going on in a property in Wigston. I can't even remember quite where it was now. And we lived in Bursal at the time. And God said to me, I want you to take a bucket and a sponge and some car washing stuff and go and wash Bryn and Kerry's cars. And I cycled from Bursal to Wigston. I washed several cars and I left before anybody came out. I say that not to boast, but to give you an example of the training that we need to have. I wasn't looking for plaudit. I wasn't looking for them to say, oh, thanks very much. I just did it and went before they came out. And there were other instances when God said to me, I want you to serve in this way. Leicester Church years ago would always be involved in the catering at Bible Week. And it was a much bigger operation back then because they would provide food for all the people who were serving on site and for the ministries. But we were all involved and we served. And we didn't mind if we were in the background and nobody knew what we did because we were doing it for him. And when you have that servant heart, God will begin to show you things. God will begin to give you not just practical outworkings, but spiritual words that can help people. See, the prophetic ministry is not about making me look good. It's about making him look good. It's about making his children have a word which lifts them up and puts their feet upon a rock. When they're feeling down and we pick them up and we say, I just want to encourage you with a word. I just want to come to you with something that God's given to me for you. Maybe they've had a disappointment or a frustration. We come alongside and we say, I just want to encourage you. This is what God says about you. We have to have that servant heart that means we're willing to go and to serve others. You need to handle your money properly. So I thought you were going to talk about the prophetic ministry. I am. Luke 16 and verse 11, Jesus says this. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will give you true riches? He doesn't explain what he means by true riches, but it's widely accepted that the true riches are referring to his revelation. Who's going to give you revelation if you can't handle this? I really believe it's fundamental 
to our prophetic lifestyle, that we have an understanding of the handling of money. See, when I look at some of the references that are made to money and the, and the reasons for certain things, it just dovetails back into the prophetic lifestyle. Deuteronomy 14 and verse 23 says to me, the purpose of tithing is to teach you the fear of the Lord. One of the things that you, and we'll come on to it in a minute, need if you're going to move in the prophetic is a fear of God. A right fear of the Lord. I'm not talking about trembling and fear in the sense of something that's going to attack you and do you harm. I'm talking about a reverence. A fear of the Lord. And the purpose of tithing is to teach us that. So if God's put this mechanism in place to teach us, we need to be those who readily and willingly learn the lesson. It's not a difficult lesson to learn. In fact, it's a joyful one. I've I've been taught tithing all my life. But I've done it because I wanted to do it, not because I was told to do it. And I've seen the blessing from it. And do you know what? It's no easier to tithe when you have more money than when you have less. Because again, I want to just dispel some myths this morning. Not so much in this church, but in previous times, people have said to me, oh, it's all right for you because you've got X, Y, and Z. Well, first of all, that doesn't make a scrap of difference because you still have things to pay, you still have things to spend it on, commitments. The principle has to be tithing is a principle regardless of how much money we have. But secondly, because we tithe, God will bless us. And therefore, to me, when you look at somebody who's been blessed you say, God's been faithful to his word. Yeah. You've, you've put the, pro- the lesson into operation and God's yeah. honoured his word. Right. It's not about things and possessions. It's about who's got hold of your wallet. Yeah. Are you honouring God in the tithe? Are you bringing the offering? Handle the money wisely. You see, the fear of the Lord will cause us to handle the word of the Lord differently. On a number of occasions, God tells the children of Israel to be careful not to add to or take away from the word. Deuteronomy 12, 32, Proverbs 30, verse 6, and Revelation 22, verse 19. Neither add to nor take away from it. Why? What's he saying? He's saying, when I give you a word... That's all you need. And the fear of the Lord will mean that we only want to bring the word that God gives to us. But we need to be careful. He says, be careful not to add to or take away from it. Why? Because he knows what we're like. And our tendency is, well, that's not a very long word. God, I think we could just, we could say a bit more here, you know. They won't really like that bit. We could take that bit out. We could water it down. And we laugh 
But we've all done it. We've been in situations where we've got a little word. Some of the most motivating prophetic words in the Old Testament were so short. Arise and build, for I am with you. God, can't you say something else? Can't you tell them what it's going to look like? Can't you give... No, he just says, arise and build, for I am with you. And do you know what the next verse is? So they arose and began to build. The word comes and action follows. He could have gone on espousing all the glory of the temple and what it was going to be like. All they need to know was God was telling them to get on with the job. And we can be sometimes so keen that we want to make sure that people really understand what we say that we add to it. There have been times when I've had a word and it's been quite short. And I thought, "Mm, not sure they're really going to understand what that means. So I've pondered on it. Lord, what does it mean that I can expand it? And sometimes I've had some thoughts about what it might mean, but I've never really come to a clear place where I know what it means. So then, eventually, having taken quite a long time to go around this process, you come back to the point where you say, okay, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. And you bring the word. And their face changes. And they say to you, you probably don't understand what that means but it's this, 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 and this. And as they say what it means to them, you think, "Hmm, no, I had no clue. And if I'd have tried to explain to you what God was saying, I'd have blown it completely because I'd left you in total confusion because what my interpretation of the word was was not what God was saying to you. And we need to learn to become those who are faithful just to bring what God gives us. Leave him to do the explaining. Because if it's the word of the Lord, the person receiving it should know it's the word of the Lord and it should hit the mark. It doesn't need loads of explanation often because the person's already been in prayer looking to God for an answer and you just say something. The fear of the Lord will mean that you will do what God wants you to do even if you might think, well, what are people going to think of me? Because what you're saying is, he's the one I'm doing it for. I have been known on occasions to do some quite outrageous things when prophesying to people. And I'll be honest, there are times when I think to myself beforehand, Lord, what reaction am I going to get? I remember one time in Loughborough, we were praying for Andrew Hulley, who was being set in as a deacon at that stage. And I got a glass of water, and I got a jug of water. And I said to him, today, there's a change in measure from this to this. <laughs> and Joy said to me, you did warm that water, didn't you? I said, oh, I got it out of the tap. <laughs> I think by his reaction, it was quite cold. But I knew what I had to say to him. I knew what God had shown me to do. And we can't start changing what God asked of us. You see, Moses did that. God said to Moses, speak to the rock. And he struck it with his staff. 
There are times when we have to do things in obedience to the word and not let this get in the way. Because our mind will tell us, well, what if? What if you say that and nothing happens? What if? But the fear of the Lord means we follow his command. See, when Jesus was at the wedding, Mary said to him, Mary said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. I don't think it would have mattered what Jesus told them to do, they would have done it. Because here was a woman who understood the principle of the fear of the Lord. She knew that if Jesus told them to do something, no matter how absurd it seemed, it would work out fine. And they brought the best wine out. And not just a little bit. Because these were huge water pots that they filled. And I wonder what they thought as they were drawing the first bit off. I wonder if they bent down to smell it before they put it in the glass. Well, it still smells like water. When did it change? We don't know. It could have still smelt like water in the pot. Was God looking to see if they would take it and do what he said? Was it as the master of ceremonies put it to his lips? I don't know. But what I do know is God will sometimes test us like that. He'll ask us to do something and he'll say, now let's see if you'll do it. Oh, well, when, when it smells like wine, Lord, I'll draw some out. And they weren't told to smell it, were they? They were told to fill the pots and take some. And the fear of the Lord will cause us to honour his word, but also have a boldness to do what he tells us to do. See, it takes courage sometimes to work out the prophetic word. But when you know it's God's word, it's not difficult. When you know God said something, how good do you think those guys felt when the master of ceremony said, oh, this is the best wine? Yeah, we got that. <laughs> they needed a boldness to take the glass and serve it. But in response to the word, God did the rest. If you want to know what God is saying, it's going to take time. There's a passage I love in Jeremiah 23, verses 16 to 22. In fact, let's turn to that and read it. And God here is complaining about people that he calls lying prophets. And if we break in at verse 16, so it's 23 and verse 16, he says, This is what the Lord God Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, The Lord says you will have peace. 
And to all who follow the stubbornness of, the heart, of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purpose of his heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their own message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways. See, he's not saying they weren't able to prophesy. He's not saying, I wanted a true prophet to come. He says, no, these people could have done it. These people could have brought the word of the Lord. How? If they'd have stood in my counsel and listened to my words. I mentioned last week about prayer that isn't just us talking. If we want to hear the word of the Lord, we need to spend time listening, standing in his counsel. And it is going to take time. It is going to take time. You see, we have to be those who allow God to speak. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But that's what prophecy is all about. It's God speaking. And yet so often we have our own ideas or things that we feel. And we pro- but God says, no, stand in my counsel. Listen to what I'm saying. When we face a situation that we need an answer for, we need to come and just listen. Yeah. Lord, what are you saying? The prophetic will bring out the heart of God to us. We have to spend time in his word. Growing up, we would have a memory verse every Sunday. And we would learn it. And the following week, if you could tell the Sunday school teacher the memory verse, you'd get a sweet or something. Great incentive. And then there'd be times throughout the year when we'd learn maybe a whole psalm or a chunk of scripture. John 14 and 26 tells me that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and will bring back to remembrance. He can only bring back to your mem- remembrance what you've already learned. And for some of us, we need to get into the word more. I need to get into the word more. But one thing I know is there's word in me. Word that I've learned. I may not be able to tell you where that verse is. I may have to quote it to you in the King James. But it's in here. And when I'm in situations, I find the word beginning to come up on the inside. I find the word coming back. The Holy Spirit bringing to remembrance. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
For God so loved the world that he did not spare his only son, but freely gave him for us all. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. And by his stripes you were healed. Verses that contain great promises for us. But we need to have them in here. We need to know that we can come back with the word and say, I've hidden your word in my heart. See, David said that, didn't he? He said, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And you can look at that one way, or you can look at it two ways. You can say it's a restraint. My, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's going to keep me from sinning. Or you can say, actually, it's a twofold thing. It keeps me from sinning. It propels me into faith. Yes. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. And when the word's on the inside, you'll have faith for the situation. Because whatever is not of faith is sin. So it's just as much sin to be outside of faith as it is to be doing our own thing. And we need to understand that. The word will keep us from sinning. That's Psalm 119, verse 11. Whatever is not of faith is sin. But the word we've hid in our heart will keep us from sinning against God. It will project us into faith. If you want faith, get into the word. If you want to know what God says about something, scour the scriptures. And when you've found what God says, you need to wage war with the prophecy. See, we all know from Ephesians, from the, the passage about the armor, that the word of God is a sword. But how often do we take hold of a prophetic word and use it like a sword? How often do we actually come and say, I'm on the offensive now? Because I've got a word. Paul knew that it was important. 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, he says, I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. Yeah. Or as some other versions put, you wage war on the prophecy. Paul had given Timothy prophetic word, and he's saying, this is now a means to enable you to wage a good war. You've got a word over your life. You've got things that I've said about you in prophetic ministry. We need to learn. I said at the beginning, some things, some, some old, some new. For me, this is something I'm learning, to take hold of the word and make it into a sword. Somebody once said, when you get a prophetic word, you put a handle on the Bible. And it becomes a sword. We need to understand that prophetic word isn't just something nice that we print out and put on the fridge. Prophetic word is something we pray with, we war with. We come back to God and we say, Lord, you've said this about me. We go to the enemy and we say, you won't stand before me because God said this. And our sword goes on the offensive. I mentioned earlier about in James where it talked about Elijah. When he's praying for the rain to come on Mount Carmel, he says he bent down, put his head between his knees. 
You ever imagine what that looked like? He is not adopting the crash position. Okay? He's not thinking, I'm going to crash and burn here. What is he doing? He's coming and he's bowing and he's saying, God, I'm calling out to you. I'm coming back on the basis of a word. I've spoken your word and now I'm calling it into being. I've had a prophetic word that I've spoken into the heavenly realms. And he keeps sending the servant back. I don't know what his reaction was when the servant came back because he doesn't tell us. I suspect on a number of occasions, probably a bit of disbelief. I can't believe the rain's not coming. I've prayed the word, and Lord, I know you're going to do it. And he says to the servant, go back and look again. Almost in a sense of, can't you see it? But he knew the rain was coming. He knew he was going to pray on a word until he saw it fulfilled. And for those of us who have prophetic word over our lives, we need to pray on that word until we see it fulfilled. Put a handle on the sword, will you? And begin to wage war with the prophecies. Kerry said last week, if you don't have a word, you need to get a word. You do. How are you going to wage war with a prophetic word unless you've got one? Go back to God. Ask him to speak into your life. Come to the elders. But get a word. Get a word because... When God says something to you, you know it's going to come to pass. Abraham had to wait 13 years for Isaac. But it tells me he didn't waver in unbelief. But he grew strong in faith, believing that he who promised was faithful. When you've got a promise of God, you can stand firm. When you've got a promise of God, you know it's going to come to pass. We need to wage war with the prophetic promises that we have over our lives. We need to see this Bible for what it is. See, we're told it's full of great and precious promises. Do you know what they are? Do you know what God's promises are to you in here? Have you been in the word? Do you understand what God's promised you? The reason I ask you is I believe it's time for us to pray prayers of petition. The more I read this book, the more I think about how God is and how he responds to us. I've come to the conclusion that God's a lawyer. (laughs) Well, to me he is. So what makes you think that, Andrews? Well, he calls himself the judge of all the earth. He tells me that we have an advocate before the Father. He tells me that there is one accuser of the brethren otherwise known as counsel for the prosecution. And so many times you can picture heaven is a courtroom. And God's not sitting in judgment to condemn you, but he's sitting to hear your petition. 
Now, I don't like going into normal courts in this country because judges do weird things. But more often than not, when I've been there, the judge will say to me, so, Mr. Eagle, can you tell me on what basis I can do this? And then I have to refer to the book that I've carried in with me. And it's called The Civil Procedure Rules. And I open it up, and I say, in this section here, sir, it says you can do this, this, and this. And then more often than not, it will be order granted as requested. When we come before the judge of all the earth, sometimes we need to be saying to him, God, you can do this because your word tells me that by his stripes I was healed. We don't need to take him to the rule, but when we're coming into the courtroom of God, we need to come with a prayer of petition. Some cases in this country, the person asking is called the petitioner. When we come before God, there are times when we need to bring prayers of petition. Ephesians, in fact, let's turn to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 is a passage where it talks about putting on the armour. And then if you drop down to verse 18, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Or some versions say prayers and petitions. Turn over to Philippians 4, will you? verse 6 don't be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God Paul is clearly distinguishing between the prayer and the petition he's saying no you need to come before God with thanksgiving but you need to make your request known and bring a petition I don't want us to pray, Lord, if it be your will. I don't believe that's a prophetic prayer. I want us to come in and say, Lord, I want you to heal this sick person. And your word tells me, your word tells me that I will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I've got a prayer and a petition. My prayer is that they'll be healed. My petition is, God, your word says... I don't want God to look at me and say, why should I do this for you? And I've got no answer. If I'm going to ask for something, I want to know I'm on solid ground. Prayers and petitions. See, we are very good at coming and praying. We're not always as good at bringing his word back to him. I think sometimes we're slightly fearful. 
How can I address God like that? Well, you can, because he's told you to. He's told you to come in and bring prayers and petitions. The other week when I was exhorting us in the offering, I took us to Malachi 3. And I said, this is what the word says. Test me in this and see. Bring the whole tithe in. And then I will rebuke the devourer. Based on that, I have the right to come before the throne of God and to say, Lord, I've brought my tithe. Now rebuke the devourer. And I'm not just talking money. Karen, do you want to come and share? I was going to say I just wanted to share a testimony but actually correction Andrew wants me to share the testimony because I would not choose to be up here um, but anyway when Andrew shared from that passage about tithing in Malachi and how God had spoken to him about a situation that he was facing at the time um, and that it was that God was taking care of the devourer and we didn't need to sort of fight and battle the case and although what Andrew was sharing related to financial needs I knew that at that time that God was speaking to me about some specific non-financial situations that I was facing, but that I needed to take them to him and get him to do the battle with the devourer. Um, one particular thing at the time is that I'd got a bad infection um, on the bottom of my foot. Um, I'm not sure if I'd stood on something or been bitten by something or been stung, but when I was on holiday in October, I'd got this really painful thing at the bottom of my foot. And it meant that I had to sort of walk on the ball of my foot with my heel up in the air. Anyway, it was getting worse and worse. And um, I'm a bit reluctant to go to the doctor, so I just sort of struggle on. But in the same way, and shame on me, I'm reluctant to take things to God, really. And God spoke to me about that. Well, that particular Sunday morning, when I'd been changing the dressing on my foot... Um, I actually realised that I'd left it too late and the infection had sort of started spreading up the side of my foot and it was really inflamed and not in a good way. So when Andrew said about that passage, that immediately came to my mind because I literally thought my foot was being devoured. Um, so at that point, I knew I needed to make a physical step and when he'd said about bringing the tithes... Um, Stu hadn't actually been paid that month till later in the month, but I actually knew that I'd got to take a physical step and bring out my tithe, so I was unprepared, so I quickly hastily wrote out my cheque and brought out my tithe, and I didn't really think anything more about it, but partway through the service, I did get a really painful, um, well, I don't know how to explain it, sort of shooting up my leg almost, um, and my foot was burning up, and then it just, you know, that was it, and that was fine, and I never, so I never thought anything more about it. Um, then that night, when I was going to change the dressing again on my foot, which I have to do on a daily basis, I looked down at my foot, and it was just completely healed. There was like no redness, no swelling, no infection. There was just the slightest mark in the middle of my foot where I could see that I had the injury, but anything else, and I didn't need to go to the doctors with it either. 
So that was, that was an amazing miracle. The story does go on from there, however. Because um, that same night, so I'd had an amazing miracle in the day. Um, I then woke up with excruciating pains in my back and I was eventually admitted to hospital and diagnosed with a large kidney stone and I was told that due to the size I'd probably have to have surgery um, to get rid of it. But So I'd gone through that miracle one day and then next thing I'm doubled up in pain and seemingly in a worse situation. So I was sort of, you know, thinking about, I was thinking, you know, I was definitely having an attack on me and the enemy was trying to rob me of what I'd had the day before. Um, so I did know that if God could heal my foot, he could also heal me of that kidney stone. Um, by the end of the day, I was still in hospital, by the end of the day, I was completely pain-free and they re-X-rayed me and it still showed that the kidney stone was there. Uh, but I asked if I could be discharged, um, and much to their shock, so, you know, they packed me off with a load of very strong painkillers and gave me sort of strict instructions that should it resurrect, I needed to get straight back into hospital. Um, and I didn't need to take any painkillers. I was completely pain-free from then on. Um, and then two weeks ago, I went for a follow-up appointment and that kidney stone has completely disappeared. <laughs> At that same appointment, though, <laughs> the story goes on. <laughs> Sadly, um, my CT scan then had shown that I got multiple gallstones. So, despite the fact that I'd had two incredible miracles, it did, again, you know, and I'm almost ashamed to say this, but it did rob me of my peace. And I just thought to myself, where's this going to end? You know, I had pneumonia last year, and I just thought, this is just a terrible attack. Um, and I had no symptoms, but so instead of, like, letting the pain get the better of me, I let my mind rob me of what God had said and what he'd already done. And it was as though I could handle physical pain, but when it came to things of my mind, dealing with stuff mentally, then the enemy had got a way in because I couldn't seem to handle that in the same way. So, so much so really that then I felt unable to share about the two amazing miracles, and they were incredible. Uh, however, anyway, I've held on to God's word from the end of last year, and I also asked for prayer for the gallstones, and I believe that God has dealt with a devour again on this occasion. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, The Spirit of God gives us power, love, and a sound mind. And when I feel as though my mind's taking me off to the wrong direction of thinking, I hold on to this truth. I realise that too many times I can think I can solve stuff myself, and I don't even ask or expect God to act on my behalf. The words of an old song came back to me. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. On a day-to-day -day basis, I know I need to stand on God's promises and claim the truth from his word. John 8.30 says, uh, John 8.32, sorry, says, we shall know the truth and the truth will set us free. Amen. 
the key is to make sure we know the truth in the first place, though, and to stand on it. So I'm not standing here today saying I've got it all, but God's got it, and I've got the God that's got it. We need to get into the Word, to know the promises, and to begin to pray prophetic prayers of petition. I said at the beginning, we're not going to pray for anybody. I want you to go away today with some keys that will help you. Start with a heart of love. Let that manifest itself in caring. Handle your money wisely and properly. Spend time in the word and in the presence of God. Wage war with the prophecy over your own life. And see the word for what it is and bring it back to him with prayers of petition. The prophetic life isn't complicated. It's just spending time in God's presence and allowing him to tell you, to show you. See, the love that we talked about at the beginning, it's not our love. It has to be his love. If you look around this room now, I think there are very few people in this room that have choice in a natural way you would love. But when you're part of his family, the love that he shares to you, you can share out. The serving that he's done for you, you can go and serve people. I want us to finish by singing a song, Before the Throne of God I Stand. Why? Because I have a plea there. Do you know who that is? That's Jesus. We talked earlier about how God often describes as a courtroom. He says, we have an advocate before the Father. If you've ever been into court where it's high court, very often you'll have a QC at the front, Queen's Counsel. He's the more experienced one. And behind him you'll have a junior. And there are times when the junior will stand up and make some points and there are times when the QC will deal with it. But we've got a King's Counsel. And we can stand behind him. But there are times when we have to speak for ourselves as well. But we're not in this alone. Because he's there. He's the advocate with the Father. And the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will show you the words to bring by way of prayer or petition. It's a fantastic opportunity we have to be prophetic. To be those who convey God's heart. To be those who speak out his word. To be those who demonstrate his life and his love. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.